Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We do this every day. We are Lauren McMinn and Olivia Grugan from the World of Learning Institute. The World of Learning Institute provides virtual instruction in world languages and other courses like calculus or chemistry when it is difficult for a school or district to find a teacher. We are here to talk to you about what we do every day that makes virtual learning authentic, relevant, and engaging. You can contact our director, Pat Mulroy, at pmulroy at worldoflearninginstitute.com for more information. Thanks, Lauren. I'm excited to be with you today. And we are joined by Dr. Rob Friel and Ms. Amy Kaufman, who are from Southwestern School District in Hanover, Pennsylvania. And the way that we got connected with them is that they recently attended our design space launch, which was on storyboarding courses with the illustrious Heidi Hayes Jacobs and Allison Zamuda. And uh, Dr. Friel and Amy, you were both excited about the possibility of curriculum mapping this way. Maybe you've dipped your toes into it a little bit. And so Lauren and I wanted to invite you to talk about what this really could look like at the district level. Um, so I wanted to start with you, Dr. Friel. You are the director of curriculum um, at Southwestern School District. And I am one of those people that's not afraid of the word curriculum. I'm really at, at heart a curriculum nerd. <laughs> so I am very curious. What does it mean to be a director of curriculum? What is your What does that look like? Sure. So I am also in that camp. I am a nerd of curriculum, I would say. Um, my whole title is actually director of curriculum, instruction, and assessment. So I feel like when you think about that whole world, they all relate so so well, but <clears throat> often what happens in the district is people do just attach the curriculum side to my role, and I do love it, but I do not want to shy away from those other areas, which are equally important. So, um, But what that really means is that I have a, I'm in central office, and I have a K-12 uh, look at the design work behind our curriculum, uh, behind assessment, uh, assessment design, assessment implementation, uh, and then the instructional strategies that go along with the implementation of that curriculum. One thing that I very much value is not just that we have a quality design in our curriculum, but that it is implemented well. And the two words that I often use, and I use it with our liaison team that Amy is a part of, is we talk about quality and we talk about alignment. Both of those words are very important. And the way that that happens is the intentionality of the design and that its alignment shows that we are implementing it well across our whole K-12. So, so much of my time, I feel is really wrapped up in that of how do I help sort of equip um, different leaders across the levels, across the content areas, building leaders, teacher leaders. Uh, we have grade level leaders at the elementary. We have secondary liaison team that, like I said earlier, Amy's a part of. Um, so I really invest myself in the leadership structures so that the design work can happen by those teams. And they change all the time, like different teachers write different units and things are happening all throughout the course of the year. Um, so how do I sort of equip that leadership group so that we can then lead for that quality and alignment in our product and that it could be implemented well, because at the end of the day, we all want the same thing for students, and that is the depth of their learning from a really well-designed quality um, curriculum. Hope that gives you enough there about what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I, I counted. I think you said the word design at least five times, <laughs> and yeah. that stood out to me because in this, in my current role working with curriculum within the world of learning, 
And actually, since hearing Heidi Hayes Jacobs and Alison Zamuda speak, it's there's really the first time that I've thought of teachers as designers, but I'm finding myself using the word a lot. Too. And um, I really like it. Like, I think when I taught, I didn't think of I didn't think of myself as a designer, even though I probably was. And I think all teachers are, you know, we design space like the classroom flow. Right. So there's some really concrete kind of things there. And then obviously around curriculum, um, Heidi and, and Allison talk about teachers as authors, but both of those words have this like creative mm-hmm. element sort of inherently in there. Um, and I know, Amy, Dr. Freel invited you to attend uh, this, our, our design space launch with Heidi and Allison. And I'm curious why you specifically were invited. What, what Tell us about your work and what you bring to the work. Uh, so I too am one of those weird individuals that loves curriculum work and has for a very long time. Um, whenever it's you know time to write curriculum, it was one of those things I always looked forward to. But um, in my role this year, I am a K through twelve humanities curriculum and assessment coach. Um, so I've had a little bit of a shift doing some instructional coaching and then also some curriculum coaching as well. And um, because it's one of my areas, um, I think that's probably why I was asked to um, to attend. Um, but I also do love and really enjoy the um, design work behind it. I like helping to get teachers to a place where they feel like they can can be good at curriculum work. Because I think a lot of teachers feel like this is not something I'm good at. It's not really my wheelhouse. Like, just kind of let me do what I need to do in my classroom. Um, but um, I do enjoy sitting and just having those conversations with teachers um, where they are being intentional about the work that they do. And then over time, you see how it impacts the kids. That's really great to hear. I I mean, I loved the event on the 21st and we're so glad that you were able to join us. And um, not all of our listeners were there. So um, if we thought it'd be interesting to do a sort of round robin of our greatest takeaway from that event about curriculum storyboarding. Um, So I don't know, Olivia, if you want to start us off with maybe your aha moment from that, you had already been kind of exposed to the curriculum storyboarding, but um, was there anything specifically from that event that you want to share? Right. Thank you. Um, For me, the idea that stories are like inherently human is really um, salient. And I think, Amy, even what you were just saying now sort of gets to that for me as well. Like like the the idea that every teacher can tell a story, like every person can tell a story because we all do it, right? So like we all sit around the dining room table and tell stories. Some of us, and we can think about those family members or friends that are, are much more performers than others, right? Um, but I think when I, I don't know if this is specifically for the 21st, um, Lauren, but when I first heard Heidi speak, the aha for me, I almost didn't even need her to go any further. I was like, yep, I get it. Not that I get how to do it or that I get all the intricacies of it, but I didn't really need her to convince me anymore. When she started out with this concept of a story, you know, I, I personally love telling stories and I love listening to stories. I think we have like, we have this podcast culture in, at least in the United States right now. And um, it's probably just feeding on something that's ancient, that's been there forever. That like sitting around a campfire and telling a story has been there for all time, right? We know about 
oral traditions and oral histories around the world, places even where stories are not necessarily written or haven't been written historically, where famous, beautiful stories have been passed down from one person to the next. And so I think when Heidi said that about a story, I was like, yep, that's it. That's the essence of good curriculum, like a map, whatever you want to call it, right, is inherently a story or should be a story. And when we siphon it off and section it off into all these different, which at some point may become necessary, right? There's a place for a unit. There's a place for an individual lesson assessment, as you talked about, Dr. Friel. But if those pieces are not connected within with a thread throughout, we're really missing something that we know inherently is how people learn and it's how stuff is passed from one, you know, from one generation to the next. So I think that's like as broad as it gets, but that's the part that was the aha for me. Yeah, stories, oldest form of knowledge, right? <laughs> Amy, what about you? Do you want to share what your aha moment was from that day? I think um, one of my aha moments is just the accessibility of stories. Um, you know, curriculum is is written. We use it as teachers. It's available to people in the community if they want to see it. But it's not something that maybe necessarily makes a whole lot of sense to to others, but stories are accessible. And when I think about how we engage our students and helping them kind of see where we're going and know what our path might be, stories can be a great opportunity to do that. I also see it as a potentially a great way to engage our parents. Um, so, you know, the work that we do, um, it should look different for what we need it to look like as teachers, um, but it doesn't mean that parents and our students shouldn't be um, or have access to it in a way that is consumable for them, but also helps them kind of know where we're going and what that path maybe looks like. Um, we're contributing to our students' stories every day and everything that we do. Um, and for them to maybe see what that one part of the story might be or what that one facet is, um, I think there's a lot of um, power in that. Yeah, and also seeing how those stories connect to other stories that they're learning in other courses, and then the web is created. And Dr. Phil, do you want to share one of your takeaways? Sure. I'm going to backtrack for just a minute if I could, because I do think that um, one thing Amy did is undersell herself in the district and her role in some of the cultural components that are important about mm -hmm. curriculum work. So when I came into the district, we had a culture that, and maybe it's true of every school district, I don't really know, a culture where there wasn't really an embracing of the curriculum design work that needs to happen. There wasn't a love for it. Um, and I have seen in the short time that I've been here sort of a change to that. And I feel like something like what Amy said when she's talking about helping people think about this as a storytelling component, people can see their access point in and their voice in it. And we are fostering that voice so that teachers are more, um, I'll say excited, although I don't know how many really are excited about it, but they're willing. And, mm -hmm. and I do feel like that's a very important part. And, I, and it links to my, to my takeaway. And I don't remember if it was Allison or Heidi that quoted uh, McTie and Wiggins, but at one point, one of them said, Teachers need a curriculum that provides troubleshooting advice and builds in opportunities to alter courses as warranted. And mm -hmm. I love thinking about curriculum as being a place for like troubleshooting because you don't really know the journey that it may take. 
But if you have this bank where you can go to to like draw from, I think that is so powerful. And it got me thinking, I'm always thinking about, I always think in questions. I'm sure we all do in some way. So it kind of got me thinking about a question of how would a change of curriculum alter the role of how curriculum is designed and how it's used if we started to think about it as a troubleshooting guide and not as this strict adherence, like we have to follow every single thing that's mapped out. And that's what I love about the storyboarding because it takes it out of that, oh, I have to follow this rote document every single moment. And it's it's the story of what happens from day one to day 182 with our kids. It engages kids, it engages parents, like Amy said, it engages our staff both in implementing it as well as in the design work. And to me, that is super powerful and promising. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I also like what you brought up there about, you know, culture, because one of my takeaways, I think, and it kind of, you know, builds on what you were saying there is, are those like sort of three buckets that Heidi shared with like, what is antiquated about your curriculum? What's sort of classical and what's contemporary? So, you know, you don't have to throw everything out that you've been doing that has been working. How can you thread in those classical elements of things that you've done? And even the most experienced teachers know, and that are pretty like wedded to their curriculum can say, you know what, this is pretty antiquated. It's not landing with students anymore the way that it used to. Um, and so kind of like guiding teachers through that process of troubleshooting, like how can we re-envision what we have? What can we bring in that will help, you know, the modern learners that we have? Um, in front of us. So yeah, that's, that's a, that's a lot of work, but it's so worth it. Definitely. Go for it. If yeah. I can yeah. just kind of, um, that was one of the things I had noted too, um, because they talked about this idea that teachers feel like they can't deviate. Mm -hmm. um, and so we kind of get stuck. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of like, it's a different mindset about being completely responsive to the modern learner, which is different than, you know, when I started however many years ago. Um, the whole process of writing and thinking about what we did in our classrooms is different, thank goodness, mm -hmm. uh, compared to how it was before. But um, that responsive nature um, and getting teachers to feel like they can do that, that is a, a little bit of a, a shift. Definitely. Okay, this is maybe maybe a second podcast that I'm gonna throw, <laughs> throw out now because I'm afraid if we go down this road, we'll get stuck there. But I, I'm hearing all of this and I love this about the troubleshooting because that actually had not stood out to me, Dr. Freel. It's so great to hear other people's ahas, right? Because you think, oh, we're all going to have the same one, right? But then something comes out and you're like, oh, I completely missed that little nugget. Um, but the troubleshooting, like, okay, what does that look like on paper? I'm putting air quotes around on paper, right? Um, what does that look like for teachers, especially for a new teacher to hand them a story map? That, said, that that serves as a troubleshooting guide at the same time, right? That if they need something to lean on, because I think sometimes that newer teachers may need that, if they need, need something to lean on, there's a little something to get yourself started, get you through that first year or two. But then also if you're feeling ready to use it more as a troubleshooting guide, that it can play that role as well. And I'm thinking about this one other district leader who I talked to after the, or in the context of this storyboarding stuff. And they were saying, you know, how th this conversation really stuck with me because I didn't feel like, I, I wasn't sure where to go with it. But she said, how, what if one teacher wants to teach math, you know, a, a certain math equation using the story of, an, of a um, viral YouTube video? That's, they want to look at how a video becomes viral. And that's what the story they want to tell to teach that type of math function. And then another teacher wants to talk about 
you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to come up with the other example right now. Some other example, right? Some other real world example, maybe something in immunology, right? Maybe an actual virus or whatever, but they've got these two different stories that they really relate to. And they both, and we've just created them this story map. Does the story map become limiting? This was a, a potential critique or a potential challenge, right? And that kind of stuck with me because I think the maps that I have created so far are a little bit limiting in that I have a story that's compelling to me and that's compelling, that I think is compelling to my students, right? What's the transferability? And of course, the point is that we all should be writing our own stories. It's not that we're going to find some universal map that works across all districts. But at the same time, at your level, Amy and Dr. Friel, you are working at a level where you're trying to coordinate across multiple mm -hmm. teachers. And I think Allison talked about having a map that one teacher helps write or create that might be used for dozens of, of second grade math teachers, right? So again, this might be opening up a whole other bag of worms, but I'm sort of mm -hmm. wondering like what, what can a troubleshooting guide that's really flexible and that allows teachers to pick and choose, what can that look like? Right. And so, and I don't have all the answer to that question. That's a great question. So the words that are sticking out of my mind, though, are the words guaranteed and viable and art and science of teaching. Those are obviously terms in our educational community. We have heard bantered around. We talk about that. We talk about what does that really mean? And I feel like the work of curriculum, when we, when we map things, when we create the troubleshooting guide, if you will, that is our map the six units if we decide that it's six units of you know what a course would look like of, from the start of the year to the end of the year well <clears throat> that science that guaranteed and viable piece to that is all of those components that we know have gone into the methodical design work of it but the art that comes from the interaction that we have with our kids when we're responding to their issues and their concerns and their challenges and different resources and different makeups and like what if i want to find a podcast that i want to use what if i want to use this video what if i want to do a nearpod what if i want to do some other tool all of those things are part of the art that makes our profession so rich but we still have this mm -hmm. adherence to like all staying on the same basic journey we're all still on that guaranteed viable research-based scientific side that kind of guides us and allows us and gives us the freedom to say yeah this is the the way I want to take this particular area. And, and one thing, when the cultural piece, to go back to that, I think that there are some teachers who would rather just be given everything that they should do and just follow and like, because then they're confident and they're like, this is what I want to do. And that is very comforting to them. And part of this transition that we're trying to make that through Amy and, and the work that she's doing and, and all that um, the rest of the liaison team's doing, we're trying to shift people to say, no, it's okay for you to go in these multiple directions. Mm. We still have this anchor, but mm -hmm. take it and go and explore. And that's all right. And that is a big mindset shift that just takes time. But I think that we're committed to trying to change. Yeah. And that's that alignment piece, Amy, that's something that you mentioned being interested in mm -hmm. how to align, you know, curriculum vertically using storyboarding. Can you tell us more about that vision? I think um, for me, those vertical conversations are really important. Um, you know, we have, you know, students who as middle schoolers will be like, well, I've already learned everything I need to know in language arts. But they're not understanding that it's the complexity at which they're being asked to interact with that knowledge that changes as they, so their acquisition of knowledge might be a little bit different at this level, but the complexity that, you know, perhaps they're reading and writing and doing things with. Um, 
And I think even for our teachers, sometimes, you know, we, we can get stuck kind of in our silos. Like, you know, I've taught seventh grade ELA for 17 years. And so this is what I know. Um, and, you know, we don't always have the vertical conversations. We've probably have had more of them in the past couple of years than we've ever had here as a district. But again, I think in understanding what is meant to be accomplished through a course, I think the stories can be, um, again, a way for people to really kind of see how is what I'm doing leaning into what somebody else maybe is doing prior? How am I extending? Um, I think, you know, they can see how things are woven together a little bit differently as opposed to just looking at it in our standard kind of curriculum kind of model that we use. Um, it It's just so important that um, we kind of understand and, and we've done a lot of work um, with our curriculum work with looking at transfer and as things that go well beyond um, subjects and courses and things like that. But again, I think it, this is a really good way to kind of see how it lands in each of our courses, how we are building and expanding upon it, and really working towards things that are bigger than just an individual course, if that makes sense. I'm curious, Lauren, I wanted to jump in. I'm curious about very like I'm going to ask a very concrete question. So you went to this first. Well, you've been Amy at least to two two events or two two talks about storyboarding, right? Um, and Dr. Frill, I don't know. We talked before if you were at PACD too. I think you're involved in PACD, right? Right, correct. Um, and so, like, how is it going to change what's what's happening at your school district? Is it is it uh, um, going to change an actual template or document or map, or is it part of the conversation? Is it some tell tell us what that looks like on the ground? <laughs> yeah, that that is a good. I'm glad you asked a direct question. I'm going to have to say I don't know yet. I really don't know fully what it's going to do, but I know that it is going to help move us forward in the next step of rethinking our whole process and rethinking product. Um, and, and I really am excited about the possibility of bringing students and parents into that conversation because mm -hmm. we have this tool available to us. I wonder too, if it's just, I have found for me, I'll speak for myself, that it's just changing the language I'm using, right? When I talk to teachers and I wonder if you'll find it just seeping in or if you've found that yet where you find yourself using some of these narrative terms and concepts because they are generally familiar, even if someone hasn't attended a workshop, right? right. Yep. Um, we wanted to end and kind of do another round robin if you're up for it. We just wanted to think about stories. And if you know, you know, maybe there's a certain type of story that really jumps out at you or um, a favorite storyteller in your family or friend circle, somebody who you think of as being a really... Um, charismatic storyteller, just to kind of start pulling out some of those elements, not necessarily in the explicit public school context. I don't know if anybody wants to jump in on that first. What kinds of stories are most compelling? I'm, I'm happy to start if you want. Um, so the person, I'm thinking about a person, she'll probably die if she knew I was bringing her up on the podcast here, but my mother-in-law <laughs> My mother-in-law is the art has the art of storytelling, and uh, one thing that she has a knack of doing is taking all of these historic situations from her own childhood, from the time when she was raising her own children, my wife being one of them, 
um, our our children, so her grandchildren, and she sort of recreates like these moments in time that happens as uh, she was experiencing life, but she does it in a way that really always colors a little bit of probably what actually happened in truth, but she does it with humor and flair, and I feel like what that does is it sort of keeps alive this relationship that we have as a family. And it just helps us like laugh and really just enjoy thinking on things that have happened. Um, so to me, I love that. I love my mother-in-law, first of all, and I love that she would bring stories back of this historic perspective that has this little color in it, but that color is really just allowing us to just kind of keep defining ourselves as a family. And it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. We'll make sure to get this link to you so that if you want to, you can share it with your mother in life. Okay. She'd be very happy. Very she happy. Would, she would, I'm sure. <laughs> I think um, for me, I can think of um, my grandfather um, just growing up through the depression and things like that. Like his stories were just um, ones that always kind of connected to that very human element of things and the understanding of circumstances um like you couldn't help but be drawn into them um and you know there were definitely times when i i think a lot we didn't know if he was telling the truth or not um but the stories were just always um just very compelling and i think the way he kind of tried to get to the the human side of things um and how our experiences ultimately shape who we are and how we kind of move and navigate, um, I think helped me develop an appreciation for every person's story and just kind of understanding we are um, very different in terms of how we've gotten to the path, you know, places where we are, um, but there certainly are those human things that do kind of link us together as well. Yeah, I guess I'll jump on that family bandwagon here. <laughs> I feel like, um, you know, I have I have two kids. They're they're eleven and eight, and um, it's been interesting to hear like my as well like my in law stories about you know my spouse growing up, and then the those stories that get told again and again. You know, the day and this my husband would die if you know I was sharing this story, but the day that there weren't enough sandwiches packed for the lunch on the boat and he just like jumped off the boat and swam away because <laughs> there weren't enough sandwiches, you know? And, um, you know, just like that story gets told, like, I don't know, once a year. And it's like, you know, those things that stand out. And I wonder with my own kids, what will be those stories that we hear again and again? And um, they kind of like shape your life a little bit and like your, you know, kind of like that story is poor Spencer has hung over his head for, you know, <laughs> 40 years now, <laughs> but like, you know, so it's, I, I just think that's so interesting, you know, what gets remembered, um, what kind of stands out of the blur of like everyday life and what will be continued to be told again and again. I'm so tempted to draw like some conclude because there's obviously connections between the three that you all just shared. And I'm tempted to draw like some kind of conclusion and say, I, I will let our listeners draw their own conclusions, um, but I will add mine to the mix. Mine's not family, but it is another sort of like human um, story that probably has some truth and some some color, as you called it, Dr. Friel, a little, little extra. Um, but what's been really interesting for me, I'm, I'm doing some traveling right now, and I'm visiting some people who I knew, some of them I knew about 15 years ago when I was 17 and 18 years old. 
And um, I've been spending time with a lot of the same people who, again, who, like I said, I knew 15 years ago, I'm, I'm traveling abroad right now in Guatemala. And so um, these are people I haven't really seen. I've had some contact with in the in-between. So there's this big sort of pause button. And I heard a lot of their stories when I was 17 and 18. And I'm hearing such, not, not different stories. I'm hearing the same stories, but I'm hearing so many new details and su on such a deeper level um, now. And I'm coming, and I, this is only assumption I'm making, but I'm coming now as a parent, as, a, as a, an adult, as a 33-year-old, as someone who's now worked for a little while, as someone who has their own household, and, and I think importantly as a parent. And it's not made explicit, but I think the stories that some of the women who I'm spending time with are willing to share with me are different because of who I am now. I'd like to think I'm a better listener, and it, it may just be my age or my position in life, but it's interesting for me to think about what about who we are changes the stories that others tell us? You know, how can we open ourselves up to stories based on the position that we take metaphorically, maybe even our body language, maybe even physically, right? Because um, the stories that are coming out right now are so much more powerful and important um, than the ones that I heard 15 years ago when I was much younger. It's about relationship building too and allowing people time for trust. But um thinking as a teacher of how to position yourself or as a school leader so that people will tell you, you know, the really important stories. You know, that actually makes me think about uh, when I think about why we utilize essential questions in a curriculum process, the reason that the same question can be posed for 12 years of a student's life mm -hmm. is as, as you get older and you have a new perspective on life, answers to that question and your knowledge, it looks different. And just like what you just said, you mm -hmm. sort of have that pause of that 15 years when you're not with somebody, but your differences and life's differences and all of those things, it does add a new perspective too. And I think that's really important. And that's kind of the depth of learning that I think we really value and why we don't just teach kids nouns in first grade. We keep coming back to nouns for every year because there's new depth of understanding that we have around that particular concept. I just think that's a very important mm -hmm. learning point. So thanks for bringing that up. I loved it. Oh, thank you. And thanks, thanks for bringing it back to curriculum. <laughs> we get to start and end on curriculum. It's the knack um, that I have. I don't know. <laughs> good. It's good. I love it. I want to have this conversation again or, or the next conversation, but we really appreciate both of your time. We know that you're doing really important work. And so we appreciate the, the little pause to talk about it with us. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot from the short conversation. So thank you both. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. Talk to you later.